Good morning. I'm Vasilios Kustadis. I'm the senior vice president of MTBS. I'm the global head of our marine business. Today, my presentation is about navigating the alternative fuel landscape. I will do this by giving you some facts and by giving you some thoughts in an effort to describe this landscape. I will end up my presentation with one slide in which I'll take the risk to offer you some conclusions. So let me start with the first slide, which is about what to expect in 2023, but also in the years to come. So when it comes to regulatory, the, ma the major event of 2023 is the MEPC 80 where we expect to see further CII corrections, where we expect to see market-based measures, fuel life cycle assessment, and so on. When it comes to the industry and what we see, we first of all see what we call the green ecosystem, which is about the merge of green shipping, counting the carbon emissions, and, when it, uh, and also we see the emerging of green labeling. The green corridors is another uh, item we're going to experience. So far there are 26 green corridors announced between ports, governments, private, so on. Some of them they know the fuel they want to talk about, some of them they don't even know the fuel. But green corridors, we're going to be talking a lot about the green corridors as an enable to move, uh, to, to move uh, the fast and first. Uh, we're going to see energy efficiency technologies and retrofits. Please mark what this word, I will come back again on retrofits. When it comes to alternative fuels, we're going to see the further development of the production, of the production and infrastructure. We're going to see bunkering infrastructure, biofuels carbon factor, and so on. And the new technologies, of course, the carbon capture. We believe with today's technology, you cannot go to 2050 targets without carbon capture, or it's going to be very difficult without it. Air hull lubrication, you can argue it's not a new technology, yet becomes quite popular, and there are new technologies inside this technology under development. Wind assisted production, production artificial intelligence, as it was mentioned in the before, in this panels and so on. In all this environment, we see three main areas, perhaps described in what we call here the technology wheel. We can talk for months about it, but for now, remember please the three main areas, the green, the blue, and the red. It's about the green uh, technologies, the digitalization, and applied research. Another way to look at this could be something like this. If you go from bottom to top, you're moving from less expensive solutions to high expense, higher capex, so to say. If you look at this from uh, left to right side, you're going from high TRC to low TRC. TRC, technology readiness level. And of course, it was mentioned before, but here is an illustration 
of how we see the decarbonization solutions, the main area in the pie that I saw here is the alternative fuels followed by the rest. And here, here's a picture of the future fuel mix. Down, you see the years until 2050, and you see the oil-based fuels uh, going to be used less and less. You see how the LNG is going to be used, and of course you see the emerging and more and more usage of uh, ammonia, hydrogen, methanol. A few words about CII. A lot is said. Please remember, CII will play a core role in the ship developments. A good crew and a good operation will impact the CII. But not only, it's further, it's even broader the issue. Because a port, its efficiency and its technology will also impact the CII. One way to look at this impact, this is a study done by ABS using this year's data 2022. I want you to keep the big picture, which is in, by 2030, almost half of the global fleet will be falling into category E. Category E, once you're there, you have one year from improvement options. So it's about half of the global fleet, about. And I'm listing here various sectors, tanker, containers, and so on. On the right side of the slide, you will see the impact of the fuel. For instance, if I take the, I cannot even read it, but if I remember correct, the top is heavy fuel oil on a VLCC, on a tanker. Assuming this uh, falls into category D uh, in 2035, <laughs> if this is the case, and now you take the same vessel but using LNG, you will see that it will fall in this category 10 years after. So you see the effect of the alternative fuel. Some good news or some news that you shall pay attention. There are some flags already accepting percentage of biofuel used for zero carbon factor. What I mean, and I have a study here, if you take one VLCC, for instance, that presently, now, is category D, and you're using now to this same ship biofuel 30, this means 30% biofuel, then immediately this ship, this particular ship, falls into category A, you see how dramatic it can be. So it means you don't even use to, you need to use biofuel 30. Maybe you need to use biofuel 10. It plays and can play a significant role, the biofuel. I want to present now three slides with some facts. I'm examining here what has happened globally on the order book. It's important, I believe, to realize these facts. So one element that is in this slide, you will see that almost, 45, 47, almost half of the order book is dual fuel ships. Almost half of the order book is dual fuel ships. If you want to see what is the alternative fuel mixed, you can go to the right side. If you take, for instance, the containers on the blue side, somewhere in the middle, you'll see the containers. Uh, you will see 25% uh, 
This means 25% of the container order book is dual fuel. And to the right side, if you want to see what is the alternative fuel used, you will see that 70-something percent is LNG and 20-something percent is uh, methanol. Okay, and this goes on there. I want to mention, as you notice, the main color here is green, representing LNG. Please keep this. 81% of all the orders are LNG ship. All the rest of the fuels is the remaining 17-18%. Uh, uh, I don't want to underestimate the other fuels, but I'm giving you the facts. 81% is LNG. This is the alternative fuel today. Without, of course, uh, underestimating the rest and the trend of the rest, actually. Uh, when it comes to dual fuel ordering, most of the orders on dual fuel ships are in Korea, despite the fact that most of the orders in general are in China. But most of the dual fuel ships on order now are in Korea. And when it comes to, on the right side of the slide, when you examine the dual fuel already, the story is quite similar. The main alternative fuel is LNG, as you do see on the slide, with the rest to follow. Uh, and if you analyze per sector, obviously most of the container ships are the ones uh, having the LNG ready ships. And if you want on the right side to see which alternative fuel, this graph will show you the other alternative fuels apart from LNG that are used to the various sectors of the ships. A few words about all these new fuels ammonia, hydrogen, and CO2. We will see the emerging of uh, these fuels as cargos, as wells. We already have ammonia trade, of course, but we're going to see the emergence of a new ammonia carriers, much bigger and in bigger scale altogether. And of course, we're going to see the emergence of hydrogen as a cargo. I'm talking about cargos now. The CO2 market, as we said, very difficult to reach to 2050 targets without CO2. We see the development of a liquefied CO2 market, about 600 ships, which is approximately the size of the today's LNG market. Uh, interesting to think or to consider in the future that uh, you may have a, a the case, a valid case of using of multi-gas carriers. I'm mentioning this because there are some, like LPG ammonia and CO2, with very, very similar characteristics. So you can have easily the case of a multi-gas carrier. And with all this, I'm reaching my last slide, and I want to stay a little bit here, as key uh, takeaways, if you wish. So, on my first bullet, please remember, today, the Asian owners are leading the new orders. The Asian owners are leading the new orders. And on my second bullet, China is the major new construction area, it's no more Korea, and with a significant gap. So, the, the vast majority of the new orders are in China including sophisticated ships, all the big container ships are there, including LNG ships, and so on. On my third bullet, the recent years are actually developing the formation of a situation which is telling us that ahead of us, 
we have uh, a significant new ordering to come for a number of reasons, low ordering, unknown technologies, and so on, and the need of uh, compliance with the uh, regulatory emissions and so on. So we are in front of significant amount of new orders. I don't say when is this going to happen, but for sure we are in front of a significant amount of new orders and the need of this. Now, a lot of presentation and many people asking this simple question. So at the end, which is the fuel? There is no simple answer there, and nobody will give you, but I can provide some clarity, perhaps. So considering the next decade, okay, we see two main categories, big ships and small ships. When I say big ships, I mean cross-Atlantic, for instance, and uh, small ships, uh, small quantities, small distances. So on the big ships, the most common fuel that we have now, we're going to have in the next years, is the traditional fuels. The oil will not disappear in the next decade, okay? After this, we have the LNG. After this, we have the methanol. At the end, we're going to have ammonia. This is what we see on the big ships. On the, on the small ships, you name it. You can have everything. Hybrid, electrical, batteries, ammonia, anything. Okay? So, on my fifth bullet, we will see the emerging of carbon capture, not only in shipping, but in general, carbon capture <coughs> industry. And of course, as a result of this, we will see the emerge of liquefied silocarriers. And as we said, we're going to see on my next bullet, uh, the emerging of new fuels as cargoes as well at the same time. And I can tell you that presently, ABS, but I'm sure everybody else is working on the designs and the development of these new carriers. When it comes to dual fuel ships, please remember today 81% of the dual fuel ships is LNG. Okay, most of them are built in Korea. And uh, on my number eight, eight item, please follow me. If you consider the global shipyards and you consider that all of them are building ships now at full capacity, okay, you can replace only 3% of the existing fleet annually. If you do the maths, this means at the end of the day, which is 2050, you cannot replace all the fleet. You cannot. You can replace, best case scenario, 55% of the fleet. And the question comes then, what do you do with the rest of the fleet? which still needs to comply, as we say, not in 2030, but even in 2030, they're going to be category E. So that's why I'm going back to this word, retrofit. It will play a significant role, you can be sure about it. Because simply, we cannot replace the global existing fleet by 2050. And my last bullet, we do face an increasing regulatory and compliance risk, which comes with a compliant cost. If you take an average fleet of 20 Balkarias, not old, trading in Europe, the compliance cost for ETAs will be about 2 to 3 million per year. And if you take a, a fleet of 150 ships, the compliance cost will be more than 32 million. Uh, so with this, I would like to thank you for your attention. I managed to finish a bit earlier. Thank you very much. Thank you. Before you sit down, can I ask a question? Actually, because you've got quite a few um, people in the audience here who may uh, think that your topic could be somewhat rebellious. Um, 
you mentioned before about the idea about the uh, alternative fuels. Now, there's a couple of mentors who are having this room here who, which I'm not technically minded. I'm looking at one now, Mr. Yannis Kovaragis, I'm looking at Philippus Felis, who are much more conversed with technical issues. And what worries me is that we're referring to future ships which are going to be delivered, say, in two or three years' time. You've got some ships delivered in two or three years' time, right? Now, come to the likes of Maersk, we've got a series of ships being built for carbon, as an alternative fuel of carbon neutral methanol. Now, it's said that, technically speaking, carbon neutral methanol will not be actually realistically available in a couple of years' time. So my question is, how on earth does the uh, mature shipowning community uh, think in terms of ordering ships in the future, which will be delivered, say, in two or three years' time, when have the faintest idea which alternative fuel will be? Because out of all the technical people who have this, this is technical conversion, we've got Panos Akhariyas who's not here, I've got Dinas Akhumanis who's not here, I've got John Kovarek who is here. Now, even people who are highly technical conversant, they've got different views as to which the alternative fuel will be. Will be ammonia, will be LNG, will be carbon neutral methanol. So what does an owner do when you have such a mess of inconsistency in terms of or conflict in terms of what the future will be? We're talking about alternative fuels and don't you think perhaps that we're just overrunning it and we're actually trying to apply targets which are unattainable in time but we're a too, too hasty maybe? Thank you. <laughs> okay. Very good point and very good question. Yeah. I would like to, I don't know, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, this is a very good point. Uh, a very good point poem, uh, brought out by the chairman, Mr. Sablidis. Indeed, uh, the green methanol, which studies from well to wake, well to propeller, is, uh, is a precious commodity. It's going to be very expensive. Uh, of course, the likes of Maersk, the giant, they have a whole island, Bjorkholm Island in Denmark, uh, full of wind turbines, and they, they make green methanol. But remember that to make green methanol, we need both carbon dioxide capsule, and we also need cheap hydrogen from electrolysis. If we don't have cheap electricity, green methanol will not be there. Now, in discussion with Mr. Phillips, uh, I learned that uh, in the future there is a projection that it's going to be 500 million tons of green methanol available. The question is when that's going to happen. So I'm sure that the first, the pioneer, 2050, but 2050, uh, whatever you order today is going to be still in the water in 2050. So what are you going to do by, the, by that time? So I'm afraid that if you are not a big, very big corporation, say SSM or uh, MSC or Myers, it's going to be very tough. Thanks. Thanks for the question. Yeah, if I may add, if I may add, uh, the benefit is uh, on the green methanol, which does not exist, or if it exists, is in small quantities right now. So whoever builds uh, methanol dual fuel ship, or he does it in the hope that soon we're going to have green methanol available. That's all. 
Okay, that, but that's why I, I speak about the regulatory risk that you have to take, which green corridors perhaps trying to ease as possible. You mentioned earlier about the corridor uh, from the previous discussion about the CII. I mean, as you know, that's a concern. I mean, there's a lot of concern with the shipbuilding community. No matter time, they, they can't see it. Basically, it's uh, not going to be fair on people when you've got the CII because it's going to take years to actually implement the actual true and ethically correct way of, of, of weighing it up. So how do you cope with that situation? Don't you think the overall, and I say I'm not technically mind, but I've got advisors and more people who are close friends of mine who, who, um, who are resourceful enough to tolerate me and give me advice, so don't do to what I know. Um, the basic is, don't we think we're overrunning things? I mean, we are, you know, it's like running a marathon. To run a marathon, you've got to, you can't, you've got to walk before you run. And then I just honestly feel that what's happening now is that perhaps in the overall situation is that we're perhaps setting targets which are unattainable and you've got the middle line uh, in, in organization industries which is greenwashing which is a topic we can talk about later it is there's billions of dollars being made in the industry for investigating or exploring or thinking of ideas which are not really practically attainable in a short period of time now that puts the commercial operator the ship owner who obviously He's, he's got his own regard for his investments or, or plan in the future. And let's face it, that uh, you can't have a ship on a community of any caliber who won't look in the future to see how it's going to improve or progress. But how is it going to do that with such inconsistency? It's very worrying. I agree. I agree with what you said. Uh, at the beginning of my presentation, I spoke a little bit about MEPC 80. We have some hopes there, especially in CII, that they're going to provide some corrections because in some ways, for some cases, in some categories in ships, etc., the way it's calculated is not really fair. Uh, if you're at Anchorage, uh, you can have a ship today, category C, and because you're sitting with at Anchorage next year, the same ship, automatically, if you don't do anything wrong, it falls in a different category, much worse. And this is not really fair. So we are in the hope that the AMBC 80 will address uh, this this year. Thank you. Thanks very much for the presentation. Again, it will be a worrying one, but thanks very much indeed. Thank you.